This is Jennifer Gonzalez welcoming you to episode 108 of the Cult of Pedagogy podcast. In this episode, I am going to talk about an issue I think we're having. The fact that in too many classrooms, students don't seem to actually be doing much of anything. Most of the time, I make every effort to produce work that is well-organized and supported by research, but every now and then, I need to just talk, and that is what today's episode is about. I'm going to talk about a problem that I think is becoming an issue in more and more classrooms, why it's a problem, where I think it comes from, and the simple things we can do to fix it. The problem? We are expecting students to learn material without asking them to do much of anything with it. Before I get started, I'd like to thank My Simple Show for sponsoring this episode. My Simple Show is this really cool online tool that allows you to create your own animated videos for free. It's really easy and fast. You just write your script or upload your PowerPoint, fine tune the images, then add your own voiceovers to produce a completed video. It's a perfect, easy tool for flipping your classroom and having students create their own videos. MySimpleShow.com is now offering a free classroom plan with additional features just for educators and students. The plan offers collaborative explainer video making and full creative freedom for up to 50 students. To sign up, just go to MySimpleShow.com pricing and scroll down to the education option. Support for this episode also comes from PeerGrade. PeerGrade is a platform that makes it easy to facilitate peer review in your classroom. Students review each other's work, while PeerGrade takes care of anonymously assigning reviewers and delivering all the relevant insights to teachers. With PeerGrade, students learn to think critically and take ownership of their learning. They also learn to write kind and useful feedback for their peers. PeerGrade is free to use for teachers and students. And now, Cult of Pedagogy listeners can get three months of PeerGrade Pro free of charge. Just sign up for a free 30-day trial, then redeem the code CULT to extend that free trial to three months. To learn more about PeerGrade, visit cultofpedagogy.com peergrade. I would also like to thank you for the reviews you've left for this podcast on iTunes. These reviews really help future listeners decide if the podcast is worth their time. So if you've enjoyed listening but you've never left a review, I would love it if you would take a few minutes, head over to iTunes, and tell me what you think. Thanks. The Cult of Pedagogy podcast is part of the Education Podcast Network. The EPN family now includes 25 different podcasts, and each one is focused on education. Check out all of the EPN podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. All right, let's do this. <laughs> Here is the issue. Here is the problem that I'm seeing. And I'm going to go back a couple of years to the first time I noticed this. One of my kids was studying weather systems. This is the thing where it's, you know, a, a high pressure system and a low pressure system and a cold front and a, a warm front. I, I do not know weather very well. And so I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. I just know that we were trying to help her prepare for a test and also do some sort of homework, like answer a question. And she didn't get it at all. And we were really frustrated, my husband and I, because all we really had as the materials to look for were, were just sort of like the top half of this worksheet. Um, so 
we were having trouble explaining it to her. And at one point I finally said to her, you know, in your class, didn't your teacher ever like draw a diagram on the board? She said, no. I said, did you guys ever do like, like, to me, this seems like the perfect thing for, for your teacher to, to grab like a small group of kids and say, okay, you three, you're going to be a cold front. And then you three, you're going to be a warm front. Come up to the front of the room. Okay. And I want this group here. I want you to like wiggle around really fast because you are, I don't know, you're gonna have to fill in the blanks here, like high pressure or something like that. And this group, I want you to move really, really slowly. And so like these two groups have labels and then have direct them to move in some way so that the kids can actually visualize how these systems interact and what happens when they collide and what kind of weather that creates. And to me, you could do a whole sort of like physical demonstration because this really is a very physical process. Uh, and, and it seems like the kids would get it right away. And I said, did your teacher ever do anything like that? She looked at me like I was crazy. She said, no. And I thought, man, what a shame. Thinking if I was a science teacher and I was trying to explain, or a history teacher, trying to explain, you know, movements of people or systems or biological things or whatever it is, like if I would be doing these physical types of demonstrations all the time because it seems like such a more effective and quick way to get these kind of abstract concepts into kids' heads. We're, we're trying to teach things that are kind of concrete or could be made concrete in really abstract ways. I said, well, how did you learn this? How did you actually like learn this for the first time? She said, I mean, first of all, she didn't really know what I meant, but I said, she said, well, we just read the book. And I said, what do you mean we read the book? Like, did everybody like sit down quietly and read it? And then the teacher like talked to you. She's like, no, we just all open it up to like page 36. And then like, she would read a little bit to us and then like explain something. And then we would read a little bit more and then she would like say something else. And, and that was it. And I thought, oh God, <laughs> really? That was it? And I said, is it like that all the time? She said, basically. And then the next activity that was planned was do these worksheets where they had to sort of like answer those questions. And then and then there was a test. And now this was a couple of years ago. This was late in elementary school. And since that time, I've been seeing this pattern more and more and more as my kids have gone into middle school and as they're starting to head into high school. I'm seeing the same pattern where what I'm getting from them is that every day, for the most part, they're getting material sort of like delivered to them in some really basic way, becoming more and more just like a PowerPoint. And the kids copy stuff down that the teacher tells them to write down from the PowerPoint. And then they have some sort of a worksheet where they're sort of regurgitating what was on that PowerPoint. And then after this cycle repeats for four or five times and they have some kind of a test on it. And that's it. Now I'm going to stop for a second and just say that I realize that with these podcasts that I am kind of preaching to the choir that a lot of the people that are attracted to the stuff that I write and produce and uh, are interested in talking about education and, and get really like deep and geeky about it. You all are probably already 
not having this problem in your class. But so, so when you're listening to this, um, try not to get defensive. If you are already um, past this point and you're not doing this, then maybe just listen to it as a check on your practice or maybe as a way to uh, further improve what you're doing. But I'm really, really hoping to, to reach teachers who, who do have this issue in their classroom, who are kind of skipping over what I think is an important step in sort of even the classic lesson plan. So, so I'm going to review what, um, what I understand to be sort of a basic lesson plan format. Um, so, and I've got it kind of in five basic steps. So we've got step one, which is sort of some sort of an anticipatory set. Uh, we set objectives for the day. It's sort of like, let them know what we're going to be learning. Okay. And that's usually a fairly quick step. And by the way, we could be getting a lot more creative with that, but that's a separate episode. Okay. Next step is some kind of direct instruction, a lecture, the kids do some sort of reading, uh, they watch a video, something to where there is some kind of information or skill that is being input into their brains. Step three, guided practice and application of that content. Step four, independent practice and application of that content. And step five, assessment. In my opinion, and based on what I have heard from my own children, and after speaking to a lot of teachers and teacher coaches who are kind of working all over the place, we're kind of skipping some aspect of step three and four, the guided practice and application and the independent practice and application. I feel like what I'm seeing is that we're basically kind of mushing those two together and students are just basically doing some sort of a worksheet that spits back some version of what they just learned in the direct instruction. And that's really it. So maybe we're not technically skipping it, but we are shooting at such a low target or we're doing it in such a cursory way that it's not having the impact that it should be having. We kind of go straight from direct instruction to independent practice. And I'm going to put quotes around practice because the engagement in this material isn't really happening straight to assessment. And what we're really missing are some opportunities for fun, dare I say it, engaging, and, and most importantly, sticky learning, learning that is actually going to endure, that it's actually going to stick with them. Um, I'm sort of shocked by how little anything is happening that is going to help really solidify this information. They're, they're not doing anything with the material. We're just giving it to them and then asking them to give it back. And, and since this first weather system example, I've just, I've seen it over and over again. I've, I had to help another one of my kids study for a, a social studies test just the other day. And I had to look at the notes that were taken in class and I didn't understand the notes. And I asked my child to explain the notes to me and my kid couldn't even explain to me. I said, well, what does this bullet here mean? And I can't even remember what it said. I said, what does that mean? I don't know. That's just what she told us to write down. It was on the PowerPoint and she told us to copy it down. And I wanted to throw something across my house because why? <laughs> like, why is that happening? And I need to say this too. I was a teacher. I was a teacher in middle school for almost eight years. And I know, I know that 
we do things in the classroom and our kids misinterpret it or they they misrepresent it in some ways you know i could i can tell them something seven eight nine times and and then they say you didn't tell us that or we didn't do anything or something like that and it's it's maddening so i get that i get that you know when my child says oh i don't get this you know she just told us to write it down it's it's highly likely that the teacher actually had this you know pretty thorough explanation of it and talked and then said well just write this down thinking that the kids were going to understand what that bullet meant later when they looked at it but the problem is if all this teacher did was explain 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 and then say write this down if the kids never did anything to actually process that information, then it just didn't stick. They have to do something besides just copy notes down and then and then do worksheets where they're doing sort of super low level work. They have to actually do something with the material. And here's here's what's what's wrong with this. Okay. There's a there's a couple of problems with this. First of all, most of the time, it's super low level. It's low, low levels of blooms. This is recall, recall, or maybe recognize, you know, defining things and that sort of thing. That doesn't even align most of the time with the standards. When I look at standards for subject areas like social studies and science, for example, and it's going to seem like I'm picking on these subjects, um, primarily because I think in both of these content areas, they are made up, up of vastly overwhelming amounts of just content that needs to be delivered to students. There's not as much process and skill. There's some in both of those subject areas, but a lot of it is just kids learning stuff and information. Um, I do think this is a problem in other areas too, but um, the examples are probably going to be coming from those two areas. When I look at, st at standards for, say, you know, eighth grade for science and social studies, the standards most of the time are beautiful. They require students to analyze and and um, you know sort of investigate and be able to explain like pretty deep stuff. You know, like why certain populations had to make decisions that they did based on you know scarcity of resources and it. When you read the standards, it sounds like kids are sitting around talking about some pretty pretty complex stuff. And they're not. I mean, maybe, maybe on on final assessments, there's one sort of open-ended question that's asking students to explain this stuff. But I don't think enough is happening in classes that are actually asking students to practice this type of thing. And and so what I think is happening in a lot of classes is that kids are are. Uh, defining terms or they're recognizing the definitions of terms and you know they're sort of answering pretty basic recall questions uh, and then maybe doing that kind of higher level processing in something that ultimately makes up maybe 10% of their grade on that final assessment when really the standard doesn't even necessarily ask them to be able to memorize the facts and memorize the dates and memorize the names of who did what in what war. Most of the time, the standards don't even ask them to do that. The standards ask them to analyze. So to me, the assessment 
should be about 100% of that assessment should be the analysis and the the picking apart of the situation and really, you know, digging into the details and supporting it with, you know, details from that time and and that's advanced stuff and we're not asking them to do that advanced stuff. We're just asking them to just recall it back. Apart from it not really being in line with the standards and just being super low level is that this kind of a pattern doesn't really set kids up to learn this material like they should be learning it. And I think this has been a problem for generations. Um, so many of us can say that we you know, don't remember much of what we learned in school, especially when it comes to subjects like history. Um, clearly, my lack of understanding about how weather systems work is, is a good example of that. I'm sure I was taught that in school and I probably took a test on it. And then I forgot it because I didn't really learn it because I never had to really do anything with that information. So another problem with this pattern of just information in and then information out is that our kids aren't actually learning it. And if we're okay with that, then we're basically saying that it's okay for our kids to waste 12 years in school because <laughs> the information we're teaching them isn't that important to learn anyway. And that's a, that's a problem. Another, another issue with this way of, of spending our time in school and not having kids actually do anything with the material is that they hate school. The older my own children get, the more they just hate school. And I'll ask them what they did. And I'll ask them specifically about certain classes, even just to see if I can drill down a little more. And they just can't stand it. Every day is the same. I say, what did you do? We took notes from a PowerPoint. What'd you do? Took notes from a PowerPoint. Took a test. Took notes from a PowerPoint. It's almost never anything else. And, and again, maybe they are under-reporting. I hope they're under-reporting. But when I talk to friends of mine who spend a lot of time in classrooms, who are instructional coaches or, you know, consult with schools and do a lot of observation, they confirm that that's the vast majority of what is happening, particularly in the upper grades. And I'm even remembering a post that Alexis Wiggins wrote. This is uh, Grant Wiggins' daughter uh, a while back, and I'll, I'll link to it in my on my post. She spent maybe a day or a week or something shadowing high school students and she was just blown away by how much time they spent just sitting there and it was you know physically uncomfortable and hard to stay awake and a big wake-up call for her personally so i want to talk a little bit before i start talking about possible solutions for this uh, about where this problem comes from I think based on the, the, the teachers that I've spoken to who recognize this problem, what a lot of them tell me, and this sounds right to me, is that uh, our one area, one problem with this, one reason it's happening is that we are in a, an environment right now that is so driven by high stakes testing and data that they have to do stuff that produces data. They have to do this sort of cycle of information in, information out, assess, get a score, move to the next step again, repeat. So 
teachers say that they would like to be doing more engaging activities, but their administrators require uh, them to produce data. Um, I think another requirement that's coming from above is that I'm hearing more and more from teachers who are required to document the crap out of their day. Just, I mean, super detailed lesson plans all the way down to having to indicate what font size they're using on something. Could not believe that. When, when you have to do that much documentation every day, I think what that ends up doing, because nobody has the time for that, it ends up pushing teachers to go to packaged curriculum and just, okay, we're going to do this unit and this unit has these worksheets. And so I'm going to just deliver the information. The kids will do this worksheet. I can document that I did it. I can quickly get all this documentation done and I don't have to, I don't have the time basically to, to create more creative stuff for them to do. So this is, this is my only choice because I have to document everything in such detail. And it's easier to just say, you know, we're doing workbook two, page seven, than to write up a full description of an activity and link to all my, you know, personally made stuff and, and whatever my administration is requiring me to do. So I think that's part of the issue too, that the, the increased demands on teachers, it's just, it's pushing so much time, it's squeezing their time so much that they feel like this is the easiest thing to just go to this default setting of just use a bunch of worksheets and um, just get the content out there, cover it, and then test it and then move to the next thing. I also think that, and this is this came from another instructional coach of mine, somebody else who consults with schools, um, they believe that teachers just do not have sufficient tools in their toolbox for teaching. They don't literally know enough strategies for for doing this, for for sort of actively engaging students in the content. That that something's going on possibly in in a lot of teacher prep programs that just isn't equipping teachers. They they don't necessarily know how to do something beyond direct instruction and um, you know some type of a simple you know worksheet or you know recall activity and then and then a test you know and and this particular person said that the teacher turnover is so high that it's always brand new teachers coming in who just have very little preparation um, I know that in some states the emergency certification levels right now are so high that a lot of people in the classroom just don't don't know enough teaching strategies to to really know what else to do so they kind of just go with the default so this problem is not necessarily your fault, and I'm talking to teachers. My hope is that by making you aware of it and giving you some simple tools that can fix it, uh, we can start to combat it and make the situation better. So let's move on to that part, the how do we fix it part. Okay, so there are a lot of possibilities for getting your students to actively engage with the material a little bit more than they're doing. And the most important thing to keep in mind is that it does not have to be complicated, time-consuming, or fancy. We are just trying to help our students build more pathways in their brains, help them see patterns, help them connect to previous knowledge, and also offer them some sort of novelty 
Novelty is actually a really big factor in learning. Students remember stuff if it is presented to them in a novel way. There were times in my classroom when I would simply stand in a different part of the room when I was about to give them some information just because I could say to them, remember when I stood in that one corner and said this? And they'd be like, oh, yeah. It's just novelty wakes your brain up. So we can do some simple things in between the delivery of material and the assessment of material that actually gives our students a chance to interact with it, to process it in a different way, um, to perhaps practice and apply the information before we ask them to show that they've learned it. Here are a couple of suggestions. The first one is sorting. Any type of a sorting activity is going to help them get a little bit of a better sense of the relationships between the concepts that you're teaching them. One really easy way is to organize things by similarities and differences. And this was anybody who's familiar with Marzano and Marzano's high impact strategies, that was the number one strategy, I believe. Um, anytime students can take information in that they've just gotten and actually process it in terms of these things are similar, these things are different. You can put things into categories. You can give labels to groups of things. Anything that requires students to sort of build schema, which is a sort of, you know, patterns where they can see how things are connected to each other, that is going to help them learn things better. An early experience that I had personally with this was in my 20s, I was studying Spanish and I uh, was learning um, how to say nationalities, you know, like someone is German, somebody is Costa Rican, you know, I was learning how to say these things in Spanish and they had different endings and I was having trouble remembering the endings. And so I, I had my roommate who spoke great Spanish. I had him quizzing me. He started quizzing me for a couple minutes, you know, and I was getting some things right and some things wrong. He would say, you know, whatever it was and I was, I would answer it. And, and he was just sort of flipping through the cards at random. And then he said, he said, let's do this. He said, let's put all the ones that end in ense, uh, Canadiense, Costa Ricanse, like some of them ends, end in ense. And those were the ones that I was kind of screwing up. He said, let's just put all those in one category and like figure out what those were. So we did that. Like we, we looked at what those were and kind of like he put the, I had flashcards. He put the cards on the floor, I think. And, and then we grouped. So basically we grouped them into three different groups based on how they ended from that point on and that took um i don't know two minutes from that point forward just from doing that i started getting them all right after that once he then he scrambled them again and quizzed me and i got it because i had put them into those categories and we could do this type of thing with our content just having students sort of categorize things or label them or put them into groups and with so many of these activities that I'm talking about, if you add a level of collaboration, have them do it in pairs, have them do it in a small group, that even boosts it further because not only are they doing it and benefiting from the knowledge and input of their peers, but that interaction, I can remember I did this, you know, with Joey instead of doing it with Heather or whatever, whoever these, you know, if you remember the activity that you did with this certain person, that builds in even more novelty. And so it's more engaging than just doing it on a worksheet. So any type of sorting with your content 
is something that can help. Uh, number two, another idea is any kind of kinesthetic work. Now, this is the, the sort of um, simulation thing that I was talking about with the weather systems. So anytime you can get something physical to happen to illustrate concepts, you're going to help students understand those concepts better. There's a fine line between doing this and doing something that I call a Grecian or an activity where it's just sort of decorating and stuff. I'm talking about doing things to help students understand concepts so they don't have to take a long time. That, that weather systems simulation, that's something that could take three minutes if it's done really off the cuff and maybe 10 minutes if you really have it planned out well, maybe where kids are holding signs that say, you know, high pressure system or, you know, you might build it up a little so it's got more structure, but it would not take a long time. And this type of thing could be done also where you can have sort of like role plays. If you're teaching some sort of history concept and you've got some king in in some at, you know, chunk of your of your content who does bad things to people, choose some kid to stand up there, put a Burger King crown on their head and be like, okay, Monty is the king right now. All right, and you three here, you are the whatevers, and then you three, you go stand over here. And just, you could even retell the story that's in the book in three minutes and have the kids literally like move around and make faces and like beg the king for things or whatever it is, just any kind of a quick role play. And from what I understand, the History Alive curriculum actually has these like simulations set up, but they could be done just real quick just so that kids kind of have a little bit better of a, of a memory. You can also do sort of models with like basic tools. And in episode 96, I talked to John Spencer about makerspaces and how can that even relate to content. And he, he showed me some examples. I mean, you get some pipe cleaners and Legos and Play-Doh and you could have the kids do the same type of thing. Like, let's just make a model of this thing in science, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a two-week project. It could be a 10-minute activity. And then have the kids like walk around and look at each other or just have them like explain it to to the teacher or something like that or even have them take a digital photo of it and then they have to point out the parts of it like anything where they're trying to represent what they just learned in some sort of a a physical model that can help them remember it and again it can be quick it doesn't have to be long and fancy so one was sorting two kinesthetic work three discussion all kinds of discussion possibilities. In episode 28, I go through, I think, 15 different ideas or, or strategies for classroom discussion. Ideally, in any of these discussions, require students to take some sort of a stance on a bigger question and then back that stance up. So do you think the king was wrong in this situation? Yes or no? Why? What would you have done if you were in this situation? You know, explain why. There are, are all kinds of ways where kids can be discussing your content just a little bit and, and having an opinion on it a little bit. And they'll, that will help them to remember it, it better. One was sorting, two was kinesthetic work, three was discussion, four, graphic representations. Any kind of gra graphic representation of the content will help. You can do these, your kids can do these. You can both do these. This can be something like a concept map, a graphic organizer in an episode 81 we go through all different kinds of uses and research on graphic organizers anytime they're taking the content that was just words and getting to where they can picture it somehow in terms of how the concepts relate to each other doodling also helps in episode 104 
which was about note taking, uh, there's a whole section on sketch noting and, and sort of the benefits of doing some sort of sketch noting and doodling. I would also caution you to not go too far with this. Don't turn it into an art project or require creativity or artistic skill or anything. The simplest stick figures doing the most simple basic things can go so far to help students remember things. So having them do some sort of graphic representation is another way to have them process the content. Number five, another way is to have them do writing to learn where they have to summarize, for example. You know, I see questions like this sometimes on these worksheets and they're not bad questions, but if they were done in a different way, instead of the kids going home and doing them, make that question the activity and say, okay, here's the question, you know, how were, how was this Native American tribe different from that Native American tribe? I want you to like list three reasons and then, you know, list three ways that they were similar. Or why did this tribe, why in your opinion did this tribe um, uh, struggle in this way or something like that, okay? Instead of having them take it home and do it on a worksheet or just do it on a worksheet and turn it in and then you check that it was done and that's it, have them write for a couple minutes, let them research, let them collaborate with each other, and then and then have them like share it, have them put them up on a wall and like do a gallery walk or something. Like have them actually think this through and and write it out and then get some feedback on that right away. Or even have a couple kids read theirs and then let kids go back to their summaries and make some changes because they realize, oh, I forgot this important detail or something like that. Um, they could also do short argumentative pieces. You know, what did you think about when this when this bad king did this thing, you know, what would you have done? Like kind of like the role plays, but have them do it in writing. Letting them process this information, it requires them to sort of go back to the original, you know, text and, and double check, you know, wait, am I using this person's name right? Did I, you know, get it correctly? You know, and, and they could even be doing things like timelines, like creating a timeline and working together to build that. Uh, that actually leads me to the next thing that students could be doing. It's just little mini projects, little things. Instead of them being long things, I, I saw something on MiddleWeb that I'm going to connect to or link to. Uh, that it was a history poster project. And I love the way this teacher did this. I think you could do this for so many types of content. They were studying early America. And uh, what this teacher had them do is they had to make a, a poster, two posters. One poster was the two best leaders of early America and the other poster was the two worst leaders. And they were writing it almost like a review, like a Yelp review, I think, I, maybe not, but they had to back it up basically. They And the kids could use their own rating system and they had to explain why with textual evidence from the text that they were learning from. And so they had to have an opinion and the processing of the visual stuff, they were probably never gonna forget those four names. It's a way of interacting with the content a little bit. And it was something besides just do a poster about George Washington. George Washington was born in this year and he became president in this year. Man, if, if those projects never happen again, that would be a blessing for the world because they don't really teach the kids anything, but have them have an opinion or a stance on these, on these types of topics and, and then create something that expresses that. Anyway, you have to see this project, but it's something like that. It doesn't have to be a three-week research project. It could be something really, really quick. Uh, two other things. Number seven, anticipation guides before a learning activity. This is something I don't hear a lot about, and this is a great 
tool prior to learning about something you ask students a couple of questions and again i'm going to provide a link to to an example you ask questions you know do you do you think this do you think that do you agree with this statement yes or no and these are all things that will eventually become uncovered in the content that they're going to learn and so they're sort of already primed to be thinking about these questions and topics and then when they get into the learning then that stuff is either confirmed or uh, refuted in the content. So they go back to the guides and sort of fill them out a little bit more uh, saying yes or no, you know, the text agreed with what I thought or not. And here's what I think now based on what I read. Really simple, a really simple way to get them a little bit more active, give them a little bit more of a stake in what they're reading and learning and an opportunity to process it afterwards. Did I actually predict correctly or did, you know, did I learn something and change my mind about something afterwards? And then the very last thing, and this is going to sound like it's not different from what's already happening, but note taking that has some structure, some discussion, and some collaboration. Um, in episode 104, which was very recent, it was a whole episode about note taking. And, and note taking really is an important ingredient in a classroom for learning. But there are definitely some right and wrong ways of doing it or effective and less effective. And so if students are being taught to, I think what's happening, unfortunately, when we say note taking in a lot of schools is that the teacher is just putting a PowerPoint up and the kids, from what my kids tell me, are copying what's on the PowerPoint. That is not really the same as high quality note taking to learn where students are having to really process what they're thinking and put things into their own words and uh, possibly add some, you know, some doodles to it to help them remember. Uh, I think in the, in the case of the, of the one child of mine who could not tell me anything about what the notes meant, um, we're, we're missing something. If they can't explain their notes later, and it could really just be a matter of, even if the kids are copying stuff from the PowerPoint, stop before you move to that next PowerPoint, have them turn to a partner and actually explain what's on there. Because maybe they don't know what they wrote down. So again, sorting activities, kinesthetic work, some sort of discussion, have them do some kind of graphic representation, have them write to learn, quick little mini projects, use an anticipation guide before the learning activity, and better note taking. Enhance any of these with some sort of collaboration. And once they've engaged with the material a little bit, don't forget about retrieval practice. In episode 79, we, we devoted that whole episode to retrieval practice. If that phrase is unfamiliar to you, please go and listen to episode 79 because it is about the value of sort of quizzing yourself on material as a learning strategy. This is something that should be built in to all classes and taught to students and done with students. I've worked with people that used to take pride in how many students failed their exams. I did not have a high opinion of these people. <laughs> they thought of themselves as hard teachers and, um, and they liked the reputation that they had. I think these teachers got it all wrong. And when I was in the classroom, I used to make every effort to make sure that all of my students would pass my tests. Because to me, those tests were as much a test of me as they were of my students. It was how well did I teach them? How well did I structure their learning experiences so that they really learned the material? 
it's not a matter of saying, I covered it, I taught it, therefore they should have learned it. And I hear that way too much. Just because you covered it, it doesn't mean they learned it. And I know that this is going to upset some people, but if you have a lot of students failing your exams, but those students are in class and they're showing up, then the problem is not them. The problem is you. So I will just leave you with this. When planning your lessons, ask yourself if students are doing anything with the material or if you're just setting things up so it's information in, information out. If it's the latter, start adding in ways to have students engage with the stuff they're learning. There are a lot of different ways to do it. And even though it adds a little bit more time, you're gonna see such big benefits. Not only are your students gonna learn better, you will all, both your students and you, like coming to school a whole lot more. For a written version of this podcast, visit culturepedagogy.com, click podcast, and choose episode 108. To get a weekly email from me about my newest blog posts, podcast episodes, and products, sign up for my mailing list at cultofpedagogy.com slash subscribe. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.